Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to another episode of the Anxiety Wad Podcast. I'm your host, Corey. I want to thank you for joining me once again on another episode. Um, they've been pretty few and far between, and I apologize for that. Um, but like I always say, if you guys got questions, let me know. It's a lot easier to come up with content for these. Um, many times I feel like I'm repeating myself, and I do actually refer people to previous episodes if it's a repetitive question. Um, I do my best to try to um, guess what you guys want to hear, but also it really helps if you guys can shoot me what you want to hear. And that's what a lot of episodes end up being is, um, either someone I'm working with, someone I start working with, or someone that shoots me a message and is like, Hey, can you talk about this? Or just something that pops up that I'm working with someone that it's like, Oh yeah, that'd be a good, uh, good, uh, bit for the, uh, podcast. Um, today, what I think I'm going to do is talk a little bit about my story. Um, I've been given the opportunity to be on Pursuing Health podcast with Julie Fouché. Now, if you're in the CrossFit space, you know exactly who that is. Um, She was a podium finisher on the 2014 or 2013 games. Right around when I started my CrossFit journey, she was um, fairly well-known. And she's now a medical doctor. Um, after her professional career, she still is just kind of a, um, you know, a participant in CrossFit, I guess you would call it. I'm sure she's really good still, um, have no doubt. Um, but I had asked her at one point to jump onto this podcast. It turned into them doing kind of a questionnaire and, and doing a blog post about my own story. And now, um, apparently the response is pretty good on that and they wanted to record. Now, at first I was like, no. Because <laughs> I was super nervous. Um, but then um, what, what I've been doing for the past five years is when something like that pops up that I say no to in my mind, I have to do it. Um, it's just a deal I made with myself because that's where I grow and where I continue to grow. Before I could hide from that stuff and still do some work behind the scenes and grow. But now that I've been doing it long enough, those are the times where I really will kind of personally level up. And I I think it'll be good for you guys to know that I still have those moments. Um, I still have those moments where it's like, you know, you feel squished and you feel boxed in and you're like, I don't know if I can do this. Um, But really in in the grand scheme of things, it's just me having a conversation with someone and someone that is going to be able to relate to the topics that I talk about um, in so many different ways, especially just as a medical professional. And for me, it's, I know that since sharing the blog post, I've connected with four people that I talk to on a regular basis that have also had hip replacements that are CrossFitters. So I understand the gravity of sharing my story, um, not only in the mental health space, but all the physical stuff I've been through. And <clears throat> what I want to do for you guys is kind of do a little bit of a buildup to what led me to CrossFit and what led me to this podcast. I've shared a little bit over the time, over time. Um, you know, bits and pieces. Um, but what I want to do is try to do more of a, an arc and kind of explain, um, how I became who I am today. And hopefully that can give you some peace, um, and some hope that, uh, you can make it as well. Um, and by make it, I mean, make it out of the deepest, darkest parts of your mind, because that's where the trouble lies. You know, it's external events can trigger stuff in your mind that will create chaos that we create fear, we will create worry. Um, and that's the battleground you need to be participating in to fix it and to manage it. 
and I, I want to backtrack. I don't mean fix it. I mean to learn to manage your anxiety in order to be minimalized in your life. Um, I have a respectful um, belief that my anxiety is still there somewhere and it might rear its ugly head and that's why I stay vigilant and I still practice my daily rituals and routines that have helped me help teach me how to manage my anxiety but but it wasn't until I I lost everything I thought I needed and my mind was the only thing that I had to uh, work on that I kind of found peace and so starting off you know I'm my history is I was super athletic um, I was blessed with great genes, blessed with good hand-eye coordination, jumping ability, speed, size, um, pretty much every kind of making that you would need to see a future in professional sports. Um, but I was also super sensitive. I had, you know, felt emotions strong. Um, I was an empath. I could feel other people's emotions. I grew up with ADD that I didn't know. It wasn't diagnosed until I went to therapy for like the second or third time, <laughs> which is crazy to think about. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up that way. I was, you know, homecoming king, you know, fairly popular, I guess you would call it. Um, I was, and I knew most of the people in my grade. Uh, I was bullied as a kid, so I understood what that was like, and I tried to um, practice kindness as much as I could. And it's funny the the turning point in my life will come back to that statement um, because it was an unkind event that led to a change in my life. So uh, after high school, I, I was fortunate enough to get the opportunity to play football and basketball in college, as well as get um, a little bit of a, an incentive for academics. Um, I got a grant, not a grant. It was a, it was a minimal scholarship for academics, but it was pretty much um, as much as you could get for a division two school to play college sports. And so everything was just on that path. It was ascension. Um, and then what happened in like my redshirt freshman year, so I redshirted and then I started playing my redshirt freshman year in football and basketball. I started having issues with my ankle. Um, from a, an injury I got my last ever football game in high school, it was dislocated. Um, and so I was done for our um, section championships, I believe, to go to state. Um, it happened in the first quarter, somebody rolled up on it and popped it out of place. And so my, the, yeah, my second year of college, I started having issues with my ankle, got it checked out. And what it was is that the ligaments were damaged enough to the point where they need to be reconstructed. So first surgery of mine was in 1998. I had lateral reconstruction of my right ankle. Um, knowing the long road ahead that I had to come back to play basketball and football, I chose football. And, you know, that's one of those decisions that who knows how it would have turned out and looking back it's like oh i regret that no i don't regret it everything that i've done has led me to the point where i'm at today and so looking back at that and saying is that the right decision is just spinning my wheels so i don't i don't like regret it i, I really really loved basketball is one of the, the sports i was most passionate about um but that kind of took care of my college basketball career and worked on rehab i didn't do a very good job of rehabbing my ankle and so i had some issues um, when I played my football career, I transferred that season too to uh, Moorhead State, Minnesota State Moorhead. And when I, the fall season came around, I was not in great shape. My ankle didn't work great. And so I had to redo all my PT, which was just uh, unfortunate. I, I, that's one of the things I regret about the effort I put into coming back. 
Um, but it worked out that I did that all through fall camp. I was in shape enough to start playing a little bit of receiver. Um, and then I would punt and sometimes kick off. And I was like the backup field, field goal kicker, which is funny because I, I straight toed in high school, which is just kicking with your big toe. Um, and so one, uh, I think it was practice actually, I caught a football and turned around at the field and smashed my hand in between my um, shoulder pads and somebody's face mask and my pinky got broken um, and part of my, my metacarpal, I think. One of the bones in my hand broke. Um, and so throughout that season, it didn't heal right. My pinky wasn't great. And so I ended up having surgery on removing that bone. And then I got a pin in my pinky as they fixed the ligaments in my pinky and got that removed. And so I was two and two. Um, you know, it's uh, ankle, hand, pinky. So there's three surgeries right there. Um, that worked out. And then the next few years, I got really good at punting. I started kicking off. Um, I got some looks and then the, the talks actually started about possibly pursuing sports after college. I moved out to, uh, California for about a year and pursued that. When that was going on, I started, this is when I first started noticing, um, something was off with my body. I didn't really know what, um, but I knew something was off and, um, I'm trying to think of where to go with this. So we were out there trying out and I just, I didn't have the, the hand eye coordination. I, I attributed it to my broken hand cause it was my, the hand that I dropped my ball with, um, my hand and my pinky. And so I just figured it was that, um, I didn't know exactly that it was coming from my neck at the time. Um, but what also was happening at this time, I had lost my, my grandma in high school from cancer. I lost my aunt at 21 from cancer. And then as I was driving out to California, I found out that my older brother had also gotten cancer. And so this little undercurrent of hypochondriac in me kind of started to bubble up. And there was one night we were getting ready to go to a movie out in California and I, I had a little bit of a cough <clears throat> and I was coughing in the shower and um, I had an inflammation of costochondritis, which is an inflammation in the lining of your rib cage of all things. And what it felt like when it happened was a heart attack. And so cue my first panic attack. Um, we, we, I got rushed to the ER. Heart was fine. Um, I didn't believe them. I knew something was wrong with my heart in my mind. And, you know, after that panic attack, after panic attack, after panic attack, and I ended up moving back home. And so, um, living out in California was done. Um, the football dream was done, I'd say for a good four or five months. And I got some diagnostic testing. Um, this was on the left side of my body and the major issue with my body was on the right hand side, um, which I didn't know at the time. Uh, so that was, I, I think I, I tried out a few more times in like Reno, Nevada, Tampa, Florida, yeah, two times. So there was one time in California, one time in Tampa, two times in Reno, Nevada. And so, yeah, that's four years. And there was one more year that it was more of just like an invitation tryout. And it's not as glorious as you would, glamorous as you would think it would be. It's just a bunch of coaches with clipboards. Some of them don't even like get up. They just sit in the stands and watch, but other ones will line up around you. And it's basically you and a football and they have a stopwatch and a clipboard and you're just tested. Um, once I retired, my, um, 
I had to retire because my body wasn't functioning the way I wanted it to. And I knew it was time to be done. I had spent a lot of money and maxing out credit cards and all that fun stuff. Um, but this is when my anxiety really took over. I knew something was wrong with my body. It wasn't working the way I wanted to. I had self-diagnosed myself with a brain tumor um, because I felt there was something going on that nobody could find. I was having all these diagnostic tests, um, nothing. Um, and I had pain still and it was nothing. And, and so, you know, I did the, the cardinal sin of someone with anxiety is self-diagnosing. Um, I also got into looking stuff up online and that was a bad thing. Nobody's ever going to post like, Hey, I had this issue and it just ended up being nothing. Well, you're going to find bad information online if you're looking for it. So it was, it was pretty bad. And then, um, I started to try to get back into shape and just the, the only thing I knew was working out. Um, I didn't really work on my mind. I just was part of my life was sleeping with a, um, ice pack on my chest to try to get through it. But I started working out again and my, um, workout of choice was like Beachbody, P90X, doing that for a while. It just really didn't, it was, it got old really quick for me. It wasn't very competitive. It was just like kind of, um, I don't know, monotonous if you will. And then I found, um, Muay Thai kickboxing. They had a, a gym in, in the town I lived in in Iowa and I started that. And I really fell in love with that because it was like skill acquirement, which was similar to punting and kicking where you develop these skills and over time you try to polish them out and get better at them. You know, I, I like that kind of thing is, you know, I'm an, I'm an achiever by nature and I, I try to like achieve things through skill development. You can see a, a point A and you need to get to point B. Um, you know, obviously in sport, there's so many levels that you can get to and then there's levels beyond that and so it's it's just a constant process of skill development so i kind of fell in love with the kickboxing and ended up fighting a couple times which is just crazy to think about because it's so far from my nature um but i was in search of an identity my identity as a professional athlete was gone and at that point i had a fixed mindset where i believed that it was taken from me and so i was jaded i would say um, vengeful even, and just pissed off that I was no longer that person. Um, and so in that time period, I, um, I was having these other issues like when I would punch my, my knuckle would hurt. Um, and I still had really bad pain. Um, but it wasn't localized. It would kind of move around. And so I was on pain meds, but I was also masking both my physical and mental pain with drinking. And it didn't really start out as bad as it had gotten towards the end of, of my drinking spirit spurt. Um, it was more just to kind of numb the pain. It wasn't to uh, dull the pain. I shouldn't say numb it. And it was, um, not good with pain meds. If you're someone that's on pain meds, you don't need to be drinking. Um, for someone with anxiety, you don't need to be drinking. That's not going to benefit you at all, but that was my MO. And so in that time, um, is when I met my wife, Lauren and, things had gotten a little bit better and I had gotten around some healthier people during kickboxing. And then I was also going to a chiropractor that had turned me on to personal development. And when I started doing that, I had probably only read five books in my life. Maybe I'm just not someone that can sit down and read a book. Um, but what really stuck with me and, and it sticks with me to this day is I only needed to figure out one way to read. And that's about the time that audiobooks started coming out and they were on CD that you could put in your car, <laughs> which is funny to think about with our phones now. Like we had like something physical we had to stick into our car or listen to. 
And that's what I, I started like Jim Rohn, Zig Ziglar, Les Brown. And all these guys kept talking about their morning routine. And in there, I, I started just a simple morning routine of getting up, doing a little bit of yoga, working on some breath work and stretching with yoga. Um, it wasn't big, it wasn't earth shattering, but it was just consistent enough that it was similar to practice days for sports where it felt familiar. And little by little over time, I, I figured out that that was making a difference. And I'm like, okay, I got curious. I'm like, what else can I read? And so I started getting these books about anxiety and, and personal development and nutrition and breathing and ice baths and just this gambit of information that kind of started to accumulate. And within that time frame is also when my, the neuropathy of my neck, I don't know if that's the right word. I shouldn't say that. Uh, I don't even know if that's the right word, but my neurology was getting messed up. I was trying to like grab my, my mouse a couple times at work and I, I hit it right off my desk. Um, I was walking back from grabbing coffee, coffee, holding it with my right hand and I just dropped it. And so I was like, that's when I got scared. I'm like, something is wrong. And again, I went back to the self-diagnosis of a brain tumor. Of course, you're going to think worst case scenario when you're, you're a little bit, you know, a little bit of a hypochondriac, but you're also, um, the experience that you know is people get cancer. And so at my worst, I had self-diagnosed cancer and I also had issues with my heart, even though I had been hooked up to the, in the ER numerous times after panic attacks and they were saying, you're fine. You know, you have EKG, EEG, all that stuff. I wore a halter top at one point. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. You just don't believe it. And so for you guys that are, are struggling with this, some of that stuff, go get tested because it's better to know as soon as possible than waiting. That's my advice in that. And also when they tell you that you're okay, you need to believe it to a certain point. Now, mine was different because of the nerves involved. It's just kind of weird. And I'll explain that in a little bit here. But I ended up going to um, a neurosurgeon. Um, my chiropractor, the one that turned me on to personal development and ended up being a big mentor of mine, had uh, suggested that I just go get it checked out. She did a few x-rays. She couldn't find anything that looked weird. Um, you know, I, I, she would put me back into place and be fine. And this lasted from, oh boy, I started going to her when I was like 26. And I, I finally went to the neurosurgeon when I was 35. Um, I had had a few x-rays and they're all negative. So when I got there, he's like, well, I want to do some tests. And I'm like, oh, great MRIs. And I'm a big dude. I'm six, three, about two thirty, And they would stick me into these little things and I'm claustrophobic. And so more panic attacks from MRIs. And he was like, well, that's fine. We can just give you a sedative or we can put you under. I'm like, put me under. <laughs> and so he was like, okay, we'll do it. And, um, it ended up being fine. And we did one. He's like, I think I see something in here. And what I want you to do is do this nerve conduction, something, something, something. I don't remember what it is. Uh, it was just another test in my mind. Um, I should probably figure that out when I tell the story, but, um, what happened is He's like, I have results, but I want you to come in to find them or to, for me to explain them to you. And I tried to get out of him what it was. And he's like, no, no, just come in. It, it'll be better if I can just explain it to you and show it to you. And so, um, I lived about two hours away from this guy. And so I had to drive over there, which was the longest stinking two hours of my life. And so I got there and I'm 
they get me into his, his room or, you know, the, the exam room and I'm pacing. And I, I mean, I, I was sweating through my clothes. I was nervous. I'm like, okay, this is it. You know, this is what we're going to do X, Y, and Z. Um, I'm going to, you know, I'll do chemo and I'll do radiation and, you know, maybe they'll have to do brain surgery and, or maybe it's my throat. Maybe it's my throat. Maybe, okay, wait, maybe it's my, my, and I had just all these scenarios in my head and, and he walks in with his assistant and he's like, oh, hey, Corey, how you doing? Shakes my hand. He's like, why don't you just sit down? And he could tell I was freaking out. And I'm like, okay, here we go. And he looked at me and he goes, have you ever broke your neck? And I was like, what? It, obviously, I was not expecting that. Um, it makes sense now. Um, but what he found is that there was some nerve conduction interruption in my C5 to 6. And we started talking and he's like, yeah, that, what's, what's happening is you have a bone spur that's growing into your nerve. But then you also have some bone fragments, I believe, that are stuck into your nerve. And so what that looks like is you had a really old break in your vertebrae that healed itself and started growing into your nerve. And he goes, can you think of any time that you may have broken your neck in football? And we couldn't think of one. Um, you know, I've been had my bell rung quite a few times. I've had a few concussions. But then I was like, I know what it is. When I was 18, and this is going to be a good lesson coming back to this kindness, and knowing it's like to be bullied, I was at a party and we were, um, it was at a cabin and I was sitting on a deck and it's one of those decks that has like a walkout basement underneath it. And you're sitting up on the railing and there was a guy down, um, trying to light a fire and one of my, and I wasn't a big drinker back then. And you know, I had had a few drinks underage, <laughs> just outed myself there, but obviously I wasn't a big drinker, but what we were doing is we were making fun of him because of his name. Like what a petty childish thing to make fun of him. You know, I don't even remember what his name was, but it was like a girl's name, but he was a guy. And so we thought it was funny at the time. We're just being a couple of drunk idiots. And what happened was we didn't know that he had a crazy brother. And so with my butt on the rail of the deck, he came over and just went thunk, and pushed me by the chest. And I went straight back ended up, I don't remember it. The only thing I remember it is like a crunch. And it's, if you ever had those little things that you pull apart and go, Bruh! that's what I can remember. That's the only thing I remember. And I remember waking up with people looking at me, um, come to find out one of my best friends and roommates, um, over time, he, he was there and he's like, we thought you were dead. I must, he goes, you were laying there for a good minute and a half, two minutes. Um, but at that point is when I broke my neck, um, you know, another half an inch to the left, I'd be paralyzed from the chest down. And so the gravity of that was interesting and it was a very interesting, peaceful moment, but then it was also panic. And the piece was I had an answer. I knew something was wrong. I didn't know what it was, but there was this huge release of weight that I had been carrying, but I, I also had, oh my God, I almost, I almost was paralyzed. And I started saying this out loud and the surgeon was like, no, no, you, you're not. So there's no reason to go down there. And he kind of snapped me back into reality. And I'm like, I got very grateful and emotional because it was such this, this dump of, I knew something was wrong. I didn't know what, but thank you. And it was a huge significant turning point in my life because all that weight was gone. Now I still had the habit of anxious thinking with my health. I still had the gravity of getting my neck cut open and fusing a couple of vertebrae. You know, that's a pretty major surgery and there's a lot that can go wrong. 
Um, I didn't allow myself to go there, but this was my turning point and my opportunity to be like, okay, I can either go down the road I've been going down or use this as a sign that things can get better. And it wasn't that I consciously thought that, but it was from what I had been putting into my brain, right? These are the opportunities that those people like Les Brown, Jim Rohn, Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins, all the guys, all those guys talk about is making the best out of a bad situation. And this was my opportunity. So fast forward, I get my neck done. Um, when I'm recovering, I'm like, I don't want to do kickboxing. I don't want to play rec basketball. I don't want to do P90X or whatever kind of at home workout. And so I started searching online and I found Miranda Oladroid, Oldroid. I think it's Alcaraz now of uh, street parking. I found her story and I'm like, cool, CrossFit. I have no idea what it is. I'm going to try it. And July 7th, of 2013, I tried my first um, CrossFit workout that was on the main site, and it was Elizabeth. It was 21.15.9 of squat cleans and dips. I'm like, I can do squat cleans. I can do dips. I could do dips all day. And 21 minutes later, at the rec center, I was laying on the ground wondering what the heck just happened. <laughs> like everybody else is like, what was that? Um, I, I I do remember like people staring and like because I was going at it, and I was a, kind of a trying to be a meathead even though I wasn't at the time um, but I just remember with the metal weights just banging those around in the rec center grunting and groaning and then you know just being like man that's crazy I still had a little bit of you know, you know grip issues um, which were getting better with some PT but that got me involved um, I did it at the rec center for about three months I believe before I found a gym in um, the town that I lived in and so I went there and I still couldn't do a pull-up. Um, had a lot to do with uh, the nerve issues and and whatnot, but um, eventually that got better. And and like most of us, when we get into the gym or on CrossFit people, we find some really good people. And so I was continually um, leveling up my personal development and growth, which was helping on all fronts and helping with my daily routine. And, and it was at the t- um when I had first started that I figured out that panic attacks could be squished by cold therapy. If you're about to have a panic attack, go jump in a cold shower. It forces you to be present. Um, and then, you know, they just kept helped me with that. It's, it was just like a, a steady increase. You know, it's like how you can't climb a mountain is like one step at a time. And I was doing my step by steps at day by day, you know, stretching and, and taking care of my body. We were still partying a little bit, you know, me and my wife were, um, we were married at the time, and um, I think we had a son. <laughs> I'm so bad at timelines. This is ridiculous. My son's 10, so I'd have been 32. Yeah, so we had he was three, and my daughter was a newborn after my neck surgery and when I started CrossFit. And so I started having some other issues physically. Like I would wake up, and I just felt like I was on fire, um, like in the, my midsection. Um, but I, it wasn't – it was different because it was it was like – around my hips. And so in my mind, I'm like, oh crap. Um, you know, I'm right around the age that people in my family have had hip replacements. So I better just go get a baseline. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm just going to go see how bad they are and, you know, see how many years I have left before I have to get them replaced. And another story, this one is funny too, because I got the x-rays done and I could hear the, um, Dr. Meyer, which he's done my dad's and both of mine. And, uh, he comes, 
you can hear his um he had those things over his shoes like the little hair nets for your feet you can hear him shuffling along and he and they left the door open which is terrible but he goes oh boy 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 Ugh. Oof. <laughs> which i was like please not let that not be my x-rays but he came walking and he goes well we can set you up to for now or six months from now what do you want to do <laughs> so i was like what um yeah so i found out that i was gonna have to have both my hips replaced at 37 38 and so we scheduled like i had to do like injections and kind of follow the the cadence for the insurance company and so i got some injections that didn't do anything but they were misshapen and you know had um uh, bone spurs on them and range of motion was terrible and that's why i was felt like i was on fire some nights when i would over squat like you have high volume wall balls or high volume thrusters or squats um yeah that would just set me off so it was all inflammation and so what we did is i had to go through that gambit for it ended up being six months from finding out and so we set it up for uh, September and uh, November, I believe. So it was like 10 weeks apart. And thank God I did that because it was rough. Like I don't do well with pain medication anyways. I get an allergic reaction. I get itchy and my skin gets real blotchy and I get a rash. And so there were times where I couldn't take my pain medication after surgery. And the the other major turning point in my life was after my first hip surgery when I was out of pain medication and the pain was really bad and it's so bad in fact that i had to get help from our bed into our master bathroom which was probably 10 feet um but i sweat through my shirt like i was i had a big old ring from my you know from my neck down to my chest both armpits and just getting 10 feet was that bad and so i remember taking an ice cold shower sitting on my chair just sobbing and i'm like there's no way i'm doing this other one i'm canceling no way no way no way just you know, hum drumming. And I remember laying in bed and being like, I, if I didn't wake up tomorrow, I would be okay. And in a second, it was like poof, the flash of your wife and your kids come into your head. That is selfish. That is not who you are. But I understand how people can get to that point. Like you just submit to that feeling. Now it didn't last, but it was a thought that I had that has stuck with me to this day and my why of what I do became very apparent. Not only when I was in that apartment did I make the promise to myself that if I can learn to manage my anxiety, that I would help as many people as possible. That night that I said that to myself was like, I am not gonna give up on myself because there are three people, obviously more, but in my life that count on me. I need to be a fixed point a lighthouse in the storm, not only for them, but for myself. I cannot allow myself to think that way anymore, ever. And this was my inner dialogue. And I'm, I got done saying that to myself and I'm like, where the hell did that come from? But it was the constant stream of these people, these other people, these, these mentors that I have never met. I was putting in these things into my mind that came up when I needed them the most. And so my point is, that's why I do personal development on a daily basis. Not because I need them right now. I mean, I do. They benefit me. But when it comes down to it and you're about ready to hit the bottom, you bounce. Because you've instilled this habit of thinking. Now, 
there is neg toxic positive thinking, like when it's fake. This wasn't fake. This was something that was an instinct that said, hey, that's selfish. And it was my own inner voice, right? It's like, hey, you have two kids that are awesome. You have a wife that is awesome. And you go down the line, you know, you have a, a, a wonderful mom, a wonderful dad, and you have all these things in your life that are good. You can get through this. This is, this is, this is doable. And so then the next day I, I, I was like, I was good. Like I felt lighter and it was like, okay, like we, we got through, that was the worst day. You know, obviously there's bad days still and you know, I'm, everybody's going to have a bad day, but like pain wise, it was like, okay, what can I do to get through pain other than pain meds? And then I started studying breath work, right? There's a reason that women back in the day would do Lamaze, right? There's something to it. And then I got involved in ice baths and cold exposure. And so I found these different methods that worked for me. And, and so the other point in that is I was so, so narrow-minded and so victim-minded and, and fixed-minded that I had this only, this little box that I could pull out skills from when I didn't even look up from the box and be like, well, first of all, the box isn't real. And second, just look around, try to find more information. If you get to a point where you can't find information, keep looking. There's information out there. Like you have, you know, 35 years of your life, you read five books. Imagine what you can learn when you crank that up. And so that year after that, you know, the lowest point in my life, I think I ended up reading about 89 books on audiobook. I just went on a tear. And, you know, like I said, that, that little fire in me that I never want to go back there. And my why became so clear that it was like, I'm on, I'm on a mission. Like, this is my championship. This is my challenge. This is my game that I'm going to start playing and become really good at it. Like professional level at personal development in my mind. Now it's not always perfect. I want to, you know, I, I still work on it daily and some days I forget to do it. But if I forget to do it long enough, I'm going to be able to tell because I'm going to go right back to that kind of victim thinking and fixed thinking that I was stuck in. And so <clears throat> in that space, um, after having my hips done, I, I slowly um, entered in daily habits and rituals that would help with physical stuff. Now, my, my mental stuff was always the stuff that I, I have been doing since um, after my neck my first neck surgery. I've had two. <laughs> we'll get to that. But, um, you know, I'm taking off, I'm getting all amped up. So I'm taking off my sweatshirt here. Sorry about that. But I got into personal develop for my mental work, but then I started adding in my PT and then my PT grew into, okay, I'm going to add breath work and my shower, my cold shower or my cold bath, because that is beneficial. That lines up with my values. It's taking care of myself first. And you know, it, it's gone back and forth with my values. Like for a while there it was like, okay, my mental health is number one. And when that got better, I would be like, okay, my family is number one. But if my mental health is not good, am I going to be the most I can be for my family? Which is no. So for me, I have to take care of myself first in order for all of the other things in my value stream and the things that are in my life that I want to take care of. I have to take care of myself first so I can, I can be the best I can be for those guys. And so in order for that to happen, I, I, I do my daily ritual every morning. So um, I think I had three good years with my hips. And then my wife, um, I think it was, I'm so bad at this timeline. But we found out that 
Lauren had an irregular um, pap smear and ended up um, with a biopsy that she had cervical cancer. And it was it was um, stage A1 or 1A, whatever. Um, so it was very early. And luckily she had a um, OBG that was um, very cautious. And so he's like, I'm just going to sample the spot. Took a sample. She had it. Um, and so she ended up having a cervical conic conization, um, which was quite the ordeal where uh, her surgery scar opened up and she almost bled out. And I tell you what, I got 90 miles in 60 minutes. And so when you're, <laughs> and our kids were in the car and the van and it was just crazy ordeal. Um, but I was the fixed point in that chaos. And so I could dwell on that and be like, well, my wife almost bled out and almost died. Or I can say, look how we handled that situation, right? There's going to be situations in life that are like that. But the benefit of the daily in and out habit and routine helped through that chaos. That's why I do it. And so I remind myself when those situations arise, I'm like, okay, that's why I do it. So we got there. She's fine. She's in remission. She has had, had regular um, Pashmere's ever since, which I think it's five years now at least. So she gets done with her surgery. A month later, I get diagnosed with skin cancer of all things. Um, I had a, a mole on the inside of my thigh that it was kind of weird. Like I don't have a whole lot of moles. I have real tiny freckles and maybe like one teeny tiny one that, which well, not tiny, but one that would like, you could be like, Oh, Hey, that's a mole. One or two of those on my back. Um, they took a biopsy and it came back as shallow spreading melanoma. The next week I was in for an excision. They took a big old divot out of my thigh. Um, and that, uh, yeah, that was ordeal too, because the, yeah, just the way they did it was like a T incision. And so the, the center of the T opened up and it filled with fluid and I had to have a drain and yada, 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 more adversity. But again, it was annoying, but I got through it. And I'm trying to drill home the point of why your mind is the thing you need to work on first and explore your mind first. You know, look, look at people like David Goggins, um, Jocko Willink, um, Wim Hof, you know, th those kind of people, they work on their mind first and that's why they seem so like chilled out and why they could do these crazy things. Mine is just like real life stuff and I'm not always great at it. And sometimes it's little stuff that derails me, but I bounce back faster. So I got that, that out. Everything's good. Um, and I think. Oh yeah. So that was done. <laughs> and then I find out that, okay, I'm getting really bad numbness and burning in my thumb again, which when I had, um, gotten my initial diagnosis, he's like, well, we're going to do C five, six. We're going to watch six, seven. Well, what happened is that, um, six, seven became an issue again. And so I was like, going to have to get it fixed. So he set up the surgery and <clears throat> by this time, like these things, don't really phase me much anymore. It's, I get to the point where I'm like, okay, well, what's going to be the next step? I'm going to get this done. What's next? And so I start focusing on what's next. And that mindset is pretty much how I tackle most of my day. It's like, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to AMRAP it. What do I do next? And you know, that's AMRAP mentality from Kalipa. And <clears throat> there's a lot to be said about finding people that are really good at their craft 
and just kind of hijacking what they do and making it and tailoring it to uh, what works for you. And I can't stress enough how important it was for me is to set up that, that ritual and that daily habit of taking care of myself first thing in the morning that I continue to this day. And, and there's no real secret or magic pill to what I've done to get to a point where I can handle adversity so well, you know, and I, 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 please know that I don't always have great days, but I choose to get myself out of that. I don't stay in that funk. Some days are easier than others to make that choice. Um, and they're still bad days, but you can choose to get out of it. If you make that a habit of making that choice from the deepest, darkest point in my life where I wanted to wave the white flag and be done to today has been a great journey. And that's why I don't regret decisions like quitting college basketball or when people ask me like, Hey, do you ever wish you would have tried another year in football? No. Like everything right now is lined up to the point of where I'm at today for getting the opportunity to help people like you guys listening to the show, for getting the opportunity to being able to teach people habits, teach people nutrition, teach people exercise, teach people recovery. And so, you know, that has led me to an opportunity that I was going to tell you guys about where, um, I've signed on, well not signed, but I, um, was asked to join a team of people that to be a remote coach for four different areas, it's going to be mindset, nutrition, recovery, and movement. And the group of people that it's with is the people that started the granite games. Um, in St. Cloud, there's a, a gym that's called Fast Factory, and they're starting a, a company that is called Blaze Your Trail. And I'm one of their remote coaches. And so it's been a it's been a wonderful opportunity. Um, I've known those guys for a few years. I've been a fan of the Granite Games. I've been a fan of their gym just because it's cool. But I also like the stuff that they put out and their values um, line up very well to my values. And in fact, the CEO, John, and I were both, you know, former um, college athletes that tried to play professional that basically an injury took us out of that dream. And so we're very similar in that regard. Um, and, and he's going to be someone that's going to push me to um, continue to pursue um, that level of thinking that it takes to be a professional athlete, but in a different capacity as a coach. Um, and if you're interested in, in, in getting in any of those areas, you know, and, and it can be with anxiety as well, just let me know. Just shoot me a DM and we can chat about it. Um, but I'm very excited about that. It's obviously why it flipped back, flip flop back and forth from uplifted podcast because it was going to be uplifted podcast, uplifted coaching, uplifted training, and this popped up that same week that I made the change. And uh, you know, I thought about it for maybe half a day because I was like, "This is the squad, and this is the opportunity that you've been waiting for. Like, this could be huge. You know, it's it's something that I've always wanted to do. I've tried to do it myself, but." every iteration of who I saw myself becoming was stopped by a speed bump. And so what happened, um, that I just, this was a realization when I was going through training with John, um, at fast factory is survival mode became my default and it became a habit. And so whenever I would look at these things that I wanted to chase down, as, as soon as I would start them, I would fall back into survival mode and not allow myself to push because I was so worried that it was going to crumble 
or I was so worried that I was going to have something pop up that I wasn't going to stop it. And so it's like, well, and this wasn't a conscious thing. This was like a realization that brought me to tears because it's like that, just like finding out about my neck, it was like, that's why you haven't taken the leap is that's your default. That's what you have conditioned yourself to do. You know, even though it was external situations that I couldn't control, but mentally, I was still in control mentally. Bad things happen, but we always have a choice. And I had become this person that kept choosing survival mode, but I ain't doing it anymore. Like I took the leap half a day later. I said, yep, I'm in. I didn't really know much about it, but I'm like, that's something I could fit in. I don't know what the future is going to hold with it or how big of a opportunity it will end up being, but it's a very good opportunity. And it's one where I can hit on a lot of my passions and a lot of my values and really enjoy it. And I guess I'll leave you with this, you know, even though things may suck right now for you and it may seem like the waves are crashing in and there's thunder and lightning and wind and water and just getting beat to all holy hell, there is a lighthouse out there that you need to keep your eye on. And as that stuff is happening to you, practice swimming because eventually you're going to be able to get through that murky water to land. The clouds are going to part. The sun is going to shine and you're going to be able to continue on your path wherever you decide that may take you. I'm living proof of that. And before I start crying and <laughs> getting emotional, may you have a peaceful morning, afternoon, or evening. And please keep coming back, guys. We're going to figure this out, I promise. We'll see you later. <laughs>